good with this? Are you ready? Strap yourself in because I've only got so much time and this flight is about to take off and we're going to go. Ready? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this church family. I thank you for what you're doing right across the earth and thank you that this expression right here in St. Charles of the ecclesia, of your people, of this church community, that, Lord, that we would, as, as, as Moses taught us to pray, as Moses prayed, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us, God, that we would use every day as if it was our last, that we wouldn't waste time. We, would, we wouldn't waste our lives. We wouldn't waste hours and days and weeks and months and years and decades. But, God, we would hasten the day. We would, we would seize the day. And Holy Spirit, I ask today as we, as we look at these points, even through the foolishness of preaching, the Holy Spirit, you would arrest our hearts and that each and every single one of us in this room, including myself, would leave here today having had an encounter with you from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you ready? Number one. Last week, number one, the seven steps of a spiritual warrior was rejection. And if you remember, we looked at David and this whole story here in First Samuel chapter 16 is the story of a prophet named Samuel who came to a man called Jesse and Jesse had these boys and he said, I'm going to anoint one of them king. I'm going to pour oil and this over one of their heads. And his dad had them all line up and the prophet came in and said, no, 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 it's none of these. And he said, is there one more? And they said, well, there's David. But David wasn't even there. David was out looking after the sheep. David had red hair. David was was clearly different from his brothers. And I, I pointed out last week that the psalmist says about David, in, David actually says, in, my, in sin I was conceived, in iniquity my mother bore me. And I wanted to suggest to you all that David was a love child, that's why he wasn't invited to the party. But because the man of God recognized and knew that God's anointed did not stand before him, he said, send for him and I'm not going to sit down until he gets here. They send for David, he said, he's the one, pours the, oil, the horn of oil over his head and anoints him and said, this is God's anointed. And the Bible says, if you read it, it, from that day, the spirit of the living God came upon David. And so the first point, these steps to becoming a spiritual warrior is David had to deal with rejection. But today I want to talk about this. When we deal with rejection, hands up if you've ever dealt with rejection, you've ever had that feeling of rejection. It's a horrible feeling. But the, the fact is, we can't we can't create an, an atmosphere where no one's ever going to be rejected. But what we can do is determine what we're going to do when we do. And so here, here's, here's, the, here's, the, here's, 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 here's number one again. This is how we deal with rejection. We turn rejection into dedication. Number one, dedication, if you write notes. Dedication. We can turn rejection into dedication. So if you're in a feeling, that feeling, that emotion like David had, where you feel rejected, I'm not invited to the party, I feel alone, there's something going on at dad's house, all, these, all my brothers are invited and I'm here looking after sheep, but, but, but there's something that God starts to shape and fashion in this warrior, in this man that God knew that he would one day become king. This man that would one day would become this warrior and God starts to shape him in the midst of rejection and turns it into dedication. There were two boxers and there was a, the, the coach was watching these two boxers and then there was a junior coach. 
And these two boxers were fighting. This, the, this man with the strongest right hook kept smacking this other boxer to the ground. And he'd get back up, and then he'd smack him again. Then he'd get up, and he'd go to the ground. Then he'd get back up, and he'd smack him again. And the junior coach said to the senior coach, wow, there's the champion, the one with the strong right hook. And the senior coach said to the junior coach, no, it's the one that keeps getting back up. That's the one that I'm looking at. Church, when we turn rejection into dedication, we can turn it into a training field. We can turn it into a place where we can say, God, will you shape me in this time? I am not going to allow rejection to come in here. I'm going to turn it into a place of dedication to you. And I'm going to turn my heart to you, Lord. And you know, it was in there, in that place that David writes Psalms. It's in that place that, where, of dedication, that when in the midst of rejection, that David is looking after sheep thinking, I, I don't know why I'm not invited to the party. And yeah, I can, turn, I can, I can live in rejection or I can turn this into dedication. Jeremiah says this, if the footmen have worn you out, how will you keep up with the horsemen? In other words, if just walking, if, if, if just, just the footmen who are coming in a battle have worn you out, how are you going to handle when the horses come? Yeah. He, he, he's not being kind. He's saying, hey, if this has worn you out, how are you contend with the horses? Now, I would also suggest that I have time to unpack this, that the reason for the meekness, as we know, is the word given to horses that got trained for battle. And Jesus says, blessed are the meek, will they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the trained, because they will inherit the earth. It's when we're trained by God, when we turn rejection into dedication, God does his finest work in us. And it's a step that's so important and we can stand on the step of rejection and just spend our lives thinking, I'm rejected, I'm rejected. Or we can actually turn it, rejection into dedication and say, I'm not staying here. I think I said this last week, but there are times in our lives where God will close our eyes and he'll close our ears from the people closest to us to cause us to go to the only person that can truly help us and that's him. And we can live in a place of rejection. There's just no one here. It's just, I'm all on my own. If you read the prophets, the prophets, they're crying out, oh God, I'm all alone, it's only me. If you read Elisha calling down fire on the 400 prophets of Baal, the next day he's running from Jezebel who says, by this time tomorrow you'll be dead. He's like, ah, and he runs. What what, what happened? And he's, he's, he's talking to God. He says, I'm the only one. No, you're not. But when we, when we get into this place of disobedience, we get into a place of delusion. Yeah. We can turn rejection into dedication. Oh. I, I love David for a bunch of reasons. I love, one of the things I love about David is he was a man that displayed all of his emotions. And so often as men, we don't know how, and I, I, I struggle with this at times, to display all my emotions. Because he was, a, he was a warrior. Everyone say warrior. And yet he was, a, he was a psalmist. He was a minstrel. He was a man who'd make music and write songs. But it was from this, this heart man. Became a strong man. He was a, he, he was a warrior. And yet he, had, he, he was tender. He was soft on the inside. But he was tough on the outside. And I think so often men don't know how to display all these emotions because we've been hardwired a certain way to be tough. 
But God also wants us to be soft. Hello. He motions. <laughs> David is crying one minute, and then he's killing 200 men the next. There's some kids in here, so I won't get too graphic, but the Bible's pretty X-rated. He killed 200 men, took 100 of their foreskins, and threw them at Saul, like rings. This is, this is, this is a tough guy. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. This is a mighty warrior. This is a man of passion. This is a man who could, who could worship the Lord, and yet he, he could take you out. Too much? Oh, okay. He was mighty in battle, and yet he was mighty in worship. He danced before the Lord when the ark came into town and he took off his clothes and he danced in his underpants with so much passion in worship, so much passion in war, and yet so much passion in worship that his own wife, Michael, just began to despise her in her heart. And David said the famous word, you think this is bad? Well, listen to me. I'll become even more undignified than this. I will dance. I will sing. I will go crazy for my king. I will. I'll become even more undignified than this. I'm going to worship because there's something about a warrior that loves to worship their God. And if I could break something today, and I have to break it in myself too, that something of the very heart of the king is to worship. David was a man after God's own heart. And I want to encourage you men to really worship God. Now, worship doesn't equal music. I'm not just talking about singing a, a fast song and a slow song. And No, I, I'm, I'm talking about a whole life of worship and, and dedication to, to him. For young ladies to look at, to, to choose men that are true worshipers of God. He may be fine, but does he have spine? He may be good looking, but if he takes a licking, does he keep on ticking? Does he, does he, is he a fighter? Is he, is, does he know how to stand up? I don't have time to go here today, but, but at Ziklag, when David came back and the Amalekites had burnt the place, I mean, God told them to, kill, to wipe out the Amalekites, but, but, but they'd gone to war, and the Amalekites didn't play fair. And when David and his men would come back, they would, they would hear the sound of music and celebration as their children and their wives and their families would be singing songs of celebration. Our husbands are coming home with the spoils of war. But when they came home, and he, instead of hearing the, the singing and the dancing and the celebration and the smell of food, instead of that, they smelt the smell of, bur of a burning village without any sound of children singing, with no sound of celebration. And as he's there, they're exhausted. They're worn down. They've been at war. And as they enter their own village and all they see is smoke and not a sound of any children or any wives or family celebrating their return. And he realizes the Amalekites had taken everything away from them. And there's one thing to be tired. It's another thing to, have to, to, to face defeat in the midst of your tiredness, in the midst of your weariness. I'm tired. I feel, I feel broken down. I feel weary. And on top of that, you take one more 
bad news and some of you know what I'm talking about. And it was in that moment to add insult to injury that David's men said, let's kill David. Thanks very much. Let's turn on the leader. And, and it says, if you imagine the depths, he's tired, he's exhausted, he's worn down. And his own men said, let's kill him. You did this. And if you get nothing else, just remember this. David found strength in the Lord. David shazaked himself is the Hebrew word. He conquered himself. He strengthened himself in the Lord. There's one thing I want to do on vacation is to find strength in my God. I want, to, I want to find him afresh. I want to be away from voices and choices where I can just say, God, I want to get refreshed, spirit, soul, and body. So, whew, number two. That wasn't in my notes. I just get excited. Okay, number two. Last week we looked at isolation. Can we put those up, guys? Isolation. Everyone say isolation. Isolation. But we can turn isolation into consecration. Will you say that with me? Consecration. We can turn isolation. David is going. Take, take, watch this. David gets annoyed. So, so, so Samuel comes and he says, he says, that's the one. That young boy with red hair. The reject. The one that wasn't invited to the party. The one with red hair, the one that looks different, the love child. That's the one. And he pours oil over his head in front of his brothers. And then, as soon as the man of God goes, David goes back to looking after sheep. We talked about that, the whole feeling of isolation, how he must have felt. But we can turn isolation into consecration. We can turn isolation into a time where we can really meet with God again afresh. The word consecration means to change, to set apart. It means conviction, to dedicate, to devote, to resolve. In Joshua chapter 3, it says, Today, today I want you, before crossing over the Jordan, he, 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 says this to, he says this to the leaders to go throughout the camp of Israel. He says, Today I want you to consecrate yourself, to change yourself, to set yourself apart, to devote yourself. Why? Because tomorrow we're going to cross over the Jordan and tomorrow God will do amazing things amongst you. If we want tomorrow's amazing things, today we need to consecrate ourselves. Today, and this is a hallmark, this is a step of a warrior spirit. Consecration, consecration. We broke bread today. When we break bread, it's a place of consecration. It's a place of stopping and considering. But, but I, I, I wish I, I, I wish I had more time to do this. And I've, I, maybe we'll just spend a whole Sunday on just on communion. But where Paul says, if anyone takes this in an unworthy manner, they're guilty of sinning against the body of Christ. And it is for this reason. What reason? The manner. For this reason, people have died, people are weak, and people are sick. Everyone say manner. He is not talking about a person. He's talking about a manner in which we approach the table of the Lord. This, this will change your whole life. And this may mess with every paradigm that you've ever been taught and practiced on communion. Paul is not talking about a person. How can he be when we're sons? 
living on the right side of the cross. We're not sinners. We're not slaves. We are sons and daughters. We are saints. This side of the cross, slaves and sinners. This side of the cross, sons and daughters and saints. So here's the ecclesia, the church, the called out. Ecclesia means called out ones. Called out of what? Called out of darkness, brought into the marvelous kingdom of light. Paul is writing to the church. If anyone takes this in an unworthy manner, it is for this reason some of you are weak, sick, and died prematurely. It's a manner, not a person. So it is, it is I, I want to suggest, church, it is biblically inaccurate when we take the table of the Lord and we start to examine ourselves in a manner that makes us inward looking and become sin conscious rather than God conscious. Because we are not sinners, we are sons and daughters and saints. We were, we were sinners. Because of the divine exchange which happened right here in the middle, we were taken into the marvelous kingdom of light. So what Paul is saying is, is if we take it in a worthy manner, everyone say manner, which means if this was a cross behind me, Lord, I thank you for the cross. I thank you that it was complete. I thank you that by your stripes I am healed. I thank you that, that I am completely forgiven. I thank you that I was taken out of darkness into the marvelous kingdom of light. I thank you that I choose to forget none of your benefits. You heal all of my sickness. You forgive all of my sin. That is taking the cup in a manner that is worthy of God. And if we take it in a manner worthy of God, the opposite is true, and we'll be healthy, strong, and live a long life. Sick, weak, die prematurely. How? Why? We take the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner. He's not talking about a person. He's talking about a manner in which we approach the table of the Lord. Which means, on a Sunday morning, when you break bread in your homes, don't go, oh God, I'm so aware of my sin. He's like, what? I already paid for that. Why are you talking about your sin? The wrath of God was satisfied. When Jesus said to Telestai, he said, it is paid in full. It's paid. The wrath of God was satisfied at Calvary. Scorning its shame. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That joy, church, was us. Lift up your heads. This is part of all creation waiting to start living in a reality that we are God's best, that he absolutely loves us. When he looks at you, he sees not what you used to be, but he sees Jesus. He looks at us through the finished work of the cross. And it's the, de the devil's work is to try and put shame on us, to put disgrace on us, guilt on us. And then we go like this and we go down and God says, stop it. You're the answer. All creation is waiting. So we can turn isolation into consecration. Isolation into consecration. I was reminded just talking to, to Isaac and, and Mike this week about this scripture. And, and it's really helped me because it's simple. I, I love simple things. But in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, you can write this down. Peter says this. Did I say Peter? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. It says this. Peter instructs, he says this. Be clear-minded so that you can pray. Be clear-minded. Everyone say clear-minded. 
so that you can pray. Here's a very practical way, and you can try it this week at home. Try it. It, it, it's, it's so simple, and it changed my prayer life. Be clear-minded so that you can pray. So often, we come to the Lord like this. Oh, so much. I'm going to be late. I have a quick time. I have a quiet time. I need to have a quiet time. I need to have my devotions. I've got to do my reading. I've got to do this. Just forget all of that. Don't have a quiet time. Have a loud time. Have the, have the time in your car. Don't be religious. But what he does say, Peter says, be clear-minded. In other words, clear out your mind. And sometimes the way I clear out my mind is I get a pen and I start writing all the things that I've got to do. I've got to pick up milk. I've got to do this. I've got to meet someone. I've got to return the email. I've got to return this voicemail. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to go here. I've got to go there. I must remember this. I shouldn't forget this. And I just write them all down until my mind is clear. And then I say, good morning, Holy Spirit. (laughs) What will you say to me today? (laughs) It's just really practical. Oh, I'm so worried. Lord. And then, see, if we don't do something practical like that, what we do is we stand, there's such a laundry list of all the things that are going on in my head that that's what I pray about. Oh, Lord, you know how I feel about this person. And you know about this. Lord, you know I need money. And Lord, what about the doctor's report? And what about this? And what should I do about this? And where should I go here? And that's your prayer life rather than just like, whoa, good morning, Holy Spirit. Wow. It's just me and you. What would you, it's, it's like Habakkuk, I will stand on the ramparts and I will station myself there and I will listen to what he has to say to me. You know, the rampart is a place, in a, it's in a, in, a, in a high part of a city where there's a, it's a walkway where, you're, where there's, you know, there's turrets like from, to, a, to, to protect you from the enemy's arrows, you know, little slots, but there's a walkway. That's, that's a rampart. So Peter, so Habakkuk is saying, I'll station myself there. In other words, in a place of safety, but in a place where I can see. I have a, I have a secret place in, in, a, in Wayne near here, and it's, a, it's, in, it's a, a park, and I go and hide there when I need God to meet God. Yesterday I was there for four hours, and I sat there to listen to what he would say to me. Church, find a place. Be clear-minded so you can pray. Turn isolation into consecration. I feel so alone. You turn it into consecration. I am isolation. This is isolation. I'm not meant to be. It's not good for man to be alone. Sometimes it is. Jesus went and found a lonely place. You need to get charged up. Go and be on your, on your own. Get away. Find time. Close the door. Number three. Wow. I thought I'd be going faster than this. Number three. Last week we looked at limitation. Everyone remember limitation? Limitation was from where um, Jesse, David's father, went to him and he said while he was looking after the sheep, after he'd been anointed, he said, I want you to take pizza to your brothers. Cheese and crackers. I want you to take these. And he gives them this simple job to do. Have you ever been in a place where you feel limited? And we can, but here's, here's, here it is, church. We can turn limitation into application. We can turn limitation and seasons. It's a great step for us to become a spiritual warrior in God that when you feel limited, you use the time of limitation into application. And you know what application he learned in this? To follow simple instructions. I'm king. 
Dad, remember, hey, thanks for coming. I was waiting for you because I've been wandering here the whole time thinking how limited this is and I shouldn't be here looking after sheep. You were there. You didn't even call me to the party. Dad, I've got father issues now. You're, the, you're to blame here, Dad. Why, why, did you, why, why, why did you not include me? Do you know how rejected I feel that I don't, I, I, that, 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 I, that I feel like you're not even my dad? And then the man of God comes. I really want to meet the man of God, but when he comes here, you don't even invite me. But his dad, after that, after the rejection, after the recognition, after all of that, he says, son, go and find your brothers. They're on the battle lines. Take them cheese and crackers. And it says, David went immediately and went. Here's the application. Can we follow simple instructions? Can we just say, God, if that's what I've been asked to do right now in this season, then I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it with all of my heart. There was a time when I was young, not that young, <laughs> and I held my Bible, and I thought, Lord, and some of you young people may be here. Maybe you're older and you're here. I held my Bible, and I thought, Lord, are all these things that you've promised over my life, how will I ever learn this book? I don't feel qualified. I don't have the time. I don't have the resource. How will I ever understand this? And the Holy Spirit said this to me. He said, what do you know? Do that. The only scripture I knew was, was Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you as well. That's the only scripture I knew. I've never given myself to the memorization of scripture. But when we read the scripture and it gets inside of us, it becomes rhema, which means it's living, it's active, it's actually in there. And that rhema word changes you. It's a Greek word, genosko. If we know the truth, the truth will set us free. That word know is genosko, which means to actually become a part of us. We actually know it. Amen. All right, so application. I held my Bible. Just do that. You know, Colossians 3, 23 says, whatever you do, do it with all of your heart as if working for the Lord, not for men. So think about that for a moment. Just stay with me. I know I'm, I know I'm going fast. Can, can, you, can, you, can you bear this a few more minutes? All right, ready? Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, everyone say whatever. Whatever you do, Paul says, do it with all of your heart as if working for the Lord and not for man. Wow. Do it with all of your heart. So we can turn ice limitation into application. I'm going to learn, I'm going to use this step where I'm limited. I know that I'm anointed. I know that I've been anointed king. Some of you here know you've got words. You're embarrassed to even say them perhaps because you've had them for so many years. Keep training. Your day will come. But we can miss it. Hebrews says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. We can miss the grace of God. Who, like Esau, traded his whole birth right. It was his right for a bowl of soup. Don't miss it. Application. Cheese and crackers. Okay. It's so important how we see ourselves. That in time of limitation, that we see ourselves as God sees us. 
Do you remember with, with, the, with the promised land, the spies came back apart from Joshua and Caleb and they said, we look like grasshoppers in our, in, in our own eyes and we look the same to them. If you look, feel like you're a grasshopper in, in the midst of a giant, that's how you'll be. Don't. Say, no, I'm not. Whew. All right, I'm going to move on. Number four. Five, six, seven. Nearly there. Number four. Um, last week we looked at accusation. Will you say that with me? Accusation. Have you ever known what it likes? Hands up if you've ever been accused of something. It's just accusation. You're like, ah, see, words are powerful. Words are powerful. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. But accusation, accusation, when someone accuses you, be careful. And if you remember, the whole context here is where David took those cheese and crackers and he gets to the battle line and the first person he meets is his older brother, Eliab. And Eliab is there. Now he was the one that probably by right, by looks, should have been the one because he was tall and he was handsome and he was already a warrior. And when the man of God came to anoint someone of the king, Eliab was there first in line. I'm the oldest brother. And it was the oldest brother when David took the cheese and crackers to the battle lines and the first person he meets was Eliab. And Eliab, if you remember, he burns with anger and he says to, he says to David, what are you doing here? I know what's in your heart. You only came here to gloat. And by the way, what did you do with those few sheep? Read it. We looked at it last week. Go through it again. But it's just it's quite humorous when you see this older brother talking to this younger brother, trying to belittle him. But really what's going on is there's jealousy there. Really, it's, it's, it's I, can't, I can't get past the fact there's something on you and I don't like it because it's really a reflection on what was going on deep inside. It's a, you know, abuse is, the, the definition of abuse is to use something or someone for something other than that which was originally created. That's what abuse is. It's so important that we, with accusations, that we don't abuse one another. And if you remember, in one translation, one translation, David says this, Now what have I done? Typical young brother. But another translation says this. He says, is there not a cause? And then he turned, the Bible says, and talked to somebody else. In other words, he says to his older brother, shut your mouth, not here to listen to you and your jealousy. I am here because my dad, our dad, called us to be here. And I'm just here to serve you, by the way, cheese and crackers. You want pizza or not? I just want to say this. Here, here, here it is. We can turn accusation into destination. See, these, this accusation was actually the back door to destiny. The way he handled the accusation is he refused to take it on board. It's really important that, that we don't receive words. I've, I don't have the time, but times in my own life, even from a very, very young boy, I had a principal at school called me a stupid boy and my dad went and challenged the principal and had him put it right in front of the entire class because he says life and death are in the power of the tongue and let the circle of confession be as wide as the circle of offense. You said it in front of 30 kids. You'll put it right in front of 30 kids. You're not going to call a young eight-year-old stupid. And he did. I went bright red, but he did. Why? Because there's power in that. 
There's power in, but there's power in words. There's power in what we listen to. Be careful with what you listen to. Be careful with what you hear. Hello? I, I, could, I, could, uh, I could spend 20 hours on this. The mind, our thoughts, patterns of this world, what's happening in the world today, the, tra- the programming that's trying to happen. Ah, we better wake up, church. We better wake up. We better wake up. This is it. Awake, awake, O Zion. Come clothe yourself with strength. We better stand up because we're all God's got. We're the best God's got. The cavalry are not coming. The mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is. Newsflash. The will of God is directly connected to our thoughts. Be tran- don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, his perfect, pleasing, and acceptable will of the Lord. Our mind is absolutely directly correlated to the will of God. I just want to know your will. Change your thinking. Think on that which is pure and lovely and wholesome and of a good report. I don't want those thoughts in my mind. It's like the man, the old man and a donkey who was going into town. Do you remember with the donkey and the, 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 the little boys on the donkey and the man's walking alongside the donkey and as they're walking into town, they hear these whispers. Oh, look at that poor old man having to walk next to the donkey with the little boy on there. And the man keeps walking and he's listening to these voices. So he takes the little boy off and he gets on the donkey and they walk a little bit further and they continue to hear these whispers. Oh, Poor little boy having to walk while his grandpa's on the donkey. Grandpa listens to this. So he picks up the little boy and he puts the boy on the, on the donkey with him. Walks a little bit further and people start to turn. <sighs> Poor donkey. Having to carry the little boy and an old man. By the time they got to town, the man and the little boy were carrying the donkey. <laughs> it's a joke, but can you hear my point? So, just be careful what you listen to. Be careful, be careful what you listen to because there are voices and there are choices. There are the right people. You know what they say? Sometimes they're like, who the heck is they? Well, you know what they say. Who's they? There's the right they and there's the wrong they. I want to listen to him. This is one of my favorite quotes. If I'd asked the people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Henry Ford. Here's another favorite. Southwest Airlines, who pride themselves on having fun. And a lady was offended that they would make fun and make a joke and make humor out of the safety instructions. But when she was on a flight one day, And so she wrote to complain, and the CEO wrote back, and he said, Dear madam, thank you for your letter. We will miss you. In other words, that's who we are, and we're not going to change. That's the fundamental of who Southwest is. We want you to have fun. We're the airline that's going to have fun. And if you don't like it, we'll miss you. God bless you. Too much? Okay, move on. Nearly done. Number five. Is it number five? 
Number five, manipulation. We looked at, anyone ever been manipulated? You just, manipulation is horrible when you just feel manipulated. Manipulated. I'm just going to say this will help you. You can write this down if you want. The past is a great teacher, but it is a terrible master. The past is a great teacher, but it's a terrible master. Here's the flip side, and here's, what, here's the takeaway of, of this, of manipulation, is realization. Will you put that up, guys? In, for mani- he t- this, this, the, the fifth step of, of a spiritual warrior here in David's life is when he had that feeling of manipulation. Now, the context here was, was Saul asking David to wear his own armor before he went to Goliath. Do you remember this? And he says, he, he, he started to walk around and he couldn't walk. And he used these words, I think, three times. He said, I'm just not used to it. I'm not used to it. I'm not used to it. And I brought out last week, I want to suggest to you that what was really going on behind here was, was manipulation because Saul, an evil spirit, had entered Saul's heart. And he knew that there was an anointing because it takes an anointing to recognize an anointing, by the way. And the, oh, that anointing that, that Saul had known and experienced, he saw it on this young man, David, and he thought, this young man's going to do it. Why? Because there's an anointing on him. Why? Because the spirit of the living God is upon him. And he thought, but if I put my armor on him, then I will get the glory when he takes down Goliath. That's manipulation. Hey, have a shiny shield instead of a, of a, a, a stick and a stone. And David says, tries it on. He says, I'm just not used to it. Stay with me. I'm nearly done. I just want to say this on this point. What do I mean by, by realization? There is a realization, and I've had this in my own life, where God uses the past as a great teacher and a terrible master. Somebody asked me recently, where did you learn most of my, your leadership principles? And I answered this, and Fee and I said it in sync at the same time, by how not to lead. So that's, I know that sounds, that sounds harsh, but so often you look at like, you watch people, how they treat people. I never want to treat people like that. There's a motive there. I never want to have a motive like that. I don't like it when you did that. I don't want to lead like that. I don't want to become like that. I don't want to serve like that. I don't want to do that. But I don't like that. And suddenly you realize so many of the things that you don't like actually shape you to become who you should be like. So I'm just going to say you can turn manipulation into a realization. Look at how not to lead, how not to treat people, how to serve people, how to move into the opposite spirit. And I'll just say this, these lessons, the lessons of how not to do it, are equally as powerful as the lessons of how to. Write them down. They'll make you a better person. They'll make you a great leader. Life will make you bitter or life will make you better. If you want to become a spiritual leader and a spiritual warrior, choose better over bitter. Number six, intimidation. Do you remember that? Can we put that up, guys? Intimidation. I'm nearly done. Intimidation. Intimidation over, and here we can turn that into imagination. Will you say that with me? Imagination. Imagination. There's something hidden in the text here, which I just want to lift out about the imagination. A nation of images. 
He will do more for us, more than we can think or imagine. There's something about our mind here. I'm going to go somewhere on the mind. I just, there's something about thoughts and the mind and being mindsets that I, I, I just believe that we, did, we, we need as, as a church at large to really grab a hold of and how we think right. How we can start thinking like God. We have the mind of Christ. Mind. Okay. Here we go. Intimidation, imagination. You know, David, after he'd taken off Saul's armor, he said, I'm not used to it. And then he went to a stream and he picked up the five stones and he put them in his sling. And it says he ran at Goliath. And actually he was running uphill. And he runs at Goliath. And he says, and then the intimidation is, am I a dog that you would come to me with a stick? And David, instead of being intimidated, he turned intimidation into imagination. And this is why. He responds, he says, how dare you defy the armies of the living God? Today, I will cut off your head. Question, how? How? You have a sling. How do you cut off someone's head with a stone? I want to suggest to you that David had already played this out in his mind. He'd already had this thought, this imagination. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I'm anointed to do. I'm going to do and use the training that I've had when I was looking after sheep, when I, when I killed a lion and a bear, when I practiced with a slingshot and a stone, and I'm going to go... And I'm going to put this stone and I'm going to swing it and it's going to hit him in the forehead. It's going to sink into his head. He's going to fall down like a rock. And when he falls down, I'm going to walk over to him. I'm going to pick up his sword and I'm going to cut off his head. That's imagination. What plays in the theater of your mind? Is it disaster or victory? What plays in the theater? When you, when you hear the doctor's report, I'm going to die. When you hear this, is when you watch the news, careful of the news. Careful of Facebook, careful of all this media outreach. Some of them are just demonic. There are demonic platforms that, that, that just lead to doorways and hallways of all kinds of openings. Shut the door. Say, I'm not having it in my house. I'm just more convinced than ever there's an enemy that sneaks into the door and closes it behind him to bring destruction in your house. And, and if we're not careful, we won't hear him enter. I'm serious, church. We've got to buck up. This is it. Awake, awake, O Zion. Where are the warriors? This is it. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. I'm nearly done. One more. One more. One more. Here, here he goes. What plays in the theater? As a, what, the proverb says, as a man thinks in his heart. So is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so as he. As a church thinks in her heart, so is she. As a nation thinks in her heart, so is she. As a woman thinks, as a child thinks, therefore, surely we need to give some thought to what we're thinking about. Philippians says, think on that which is pure and lovely and praiseworthy and noteworthy. 
and noble and excellent and admirable and true. Think on these things. Think on these things. Think on these things. Think on these things. Smith Wigglesworth, some of you remember, who's a, a plumber from England, had the most unusual miracles happen. I think it was Lester Summerall that went to his house and he had a newspaper under his arm. And when he rung on the doorbell of Smith Wigglesworth's house, Smith said, come in, but leave that newspaper there because they only have truth in here. All lies stay out there. Careful what you allow in your home. Be careful what you allow through your eye gate. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. What you feed grows. What you starve dies. Some of you need to starve some stuff out this week. That's what consecration means. See, see, when we take the table of the Lord and we take it in a worthy manner, we're like, hey, this is... I'm blood-bought. I'm a child of the king. I, I, I can't, I don't want to, I, I want to live in the fullness of everything that Jesus came for, paid for on the cross. The enemy came to destroy, Jesus came to destroy everything that came to destroy you and me. But when we don't live in a manner worthy of the cross, we're weak, sick, and we don't live a long life. Boom. Number seven, and finally, Brethren, I'm nearly done. The last stage last week of the seven steps of a spiritual warrior was validation. And David swings. He hits him in the forehead. The stone sinks into Goliath and he falls. And David goes and he cuts off his head. And I want to finish with this because this is hidden in scripture. And, it, and, 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 and every time I read it, that just makes me want to cry. Because the, the other side of validation is multiplication. And let me explain why. It's, it's, not, it's just not like, it's just, it's, I didn't just write this because it's, it's just, it rhymes. <laughs> the first Genesis mandate in Genesis 1.28, the, the, the purpose of man, the, the, the mandate of mankind was to reproduce and multiply. Everyone say multiply. The God, the, God's grand purpose is to fill the earth with a people that look just like him. As surely as I live, all the earth will be filled with my glory as the waters cover the sea. The glory of God is the nature of God. And it will be displayed through the church, through God's people. So when David takes off Goliath's head, watch this. When you take the head as the authority, when he took off his head and Goliath fell, or he fell and then he took off his head, the Philistines retreated. That day they stopped. Every day they'd come out in their ranks and they'd, 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 just, they'd jeer at God's people, making a mockery of them. But when the head was taken off, it stopped. When Jesus died... On the cross, he says, the, cur the, the curse was he will strike at your heel, but he will crush the serpent's head. Golgotha was called the place of the skull. So when Jesus died on the cross, that cross was dropped into the skull, crushing the head of the serpent. It was a prophetic picture of the wrath of God being satisfied and piercing through the skull 
the enemy was defeated. But let's go to our... Thanks, guys. I know I've said this a lot recently, but there's one thing that is being contested right now, and it's this. It's this. Ephesians chapter 6 says this. Put on the full armor of God. And it says, and pick up the sword of the Spirit because it is the Word of God. I watch this. It is the Word of God. Do you think it's interesting that the one thing that's being challenged throughout the world again right now, and it's demonic, is the Word of God being challenged? Well, of course. This is the weapon. This is the weapon of our warfare. It's the only defense. Everything else is defensive. This is, um, this, is the, uh, this is the offensive. This is our weapon. This is what we attack with. And so it's being minimized. Well, is the Bible really God's word? Was it just written by man? What about this? What about that? I believe it. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture. It's alive. And church, I want to say, tell you, don't let go of this sword. And close with this. And there's a, because, because he wants to turn validation into multiplication. And this is what I mean. After David died, oh, I, I, I'll just turn there really quick. You don't have to turn there. It's in 2 Samuel. Actually, it's in Chronicles chapter 11. One verse, chapter 11. One Chronicles chapter 11. For the sake of time, you can look at it yourself. But David comes to the end of his life in in First Samuel, sorry, Second Samuel twenty three. <laughs> this is so powerful. Just stay with me for one sec. <sighs> and it says this. And next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai, the Ahoite. And one, he was one of the three mighty men. And he was with David when he killed Goliath at Pastamim. Eleazar was with David when he killed Goliath in a place called Pastamim. He's, he's there. He stood on the ground. He's standing in a place with this great mighty warrior called David. And he saw, he was there when David came down. He watched it. He wasn't one of the mighty men then perhaps, but now. Later on, David has now died. And if you read in Chronicles, it says, And Eleazar was stood in a place called Pastamim after David had died. And he stood in the middle of a lentil field, or another translation says a barley field. And he stood there and it says he held his ground in the middle of a barley field. And it says his hand froze to his sword. And all day long, Eleazar, with his hand gripped to his sword, he pillaged and plundered the enemy over a field of barley. Why? 
because it was in a place where a giant had been slain. He was stood in a ground where a giant was slain. And Eleazar is saying, I've been here before. I've stood on this ground before. And I was stood here when a giant was slain. And for that reason, I'm not letting go of my sword. I'm not going to let go of my sword for a barley field, for a piece of lentil. I'm not doing it. Why? Because I've already seen a giant slain. And David may be gone, but I'm not moving. And church, I believe that's the kind of warrior spirit that God is looking for in the spirit realm. Not to go around cutting off people's heads, but to say, I'm not moving. I'm going to take my stand for a grain of barley if I have to, because I'm not moving. Why? Because I withstood here before and I saw a giant slain. I saw him come down. For some of you, it's contending for a miracle. I've seen it. You've seen it in this room. Those who've been here a long time, you've seen such an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You've seen cancers leave people, even recently. You've seen marriages completely restored that looked like they were so broken. And God restored them. Why? These are the things we're not to let go of our sword. That our hand freezes to our sword and say, for this reason, I'm not giving ground. Because I've seen it before and we'll see it again. I've seen, I've seen financial breakthrough. I've seen it. And for that reason, I'm not going to let go of my sword. I'm stood, we are stood in a place today. In fact, just let's all stand together if you're able, just stand. You just close your eyes. Church, just, just ask yourself, ask, ask yourself, what have I seen? The communion is, do this in remembrance of me. Remember, I want you to remember today. What have you seen? What have you seen him do? Stand until you see it again. Don't let go of your sword until you see it again. Until you see the breakthrough again. Until you, some of you, it's sadness. You've gone through so much pain. Take, stand until the joy comes again. Morning comes in the night, but joy comes in the morning. He's given us a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Some of you need to stand with your hand fastened to the Word of God, frozen to the Word of God until the joy is restored again. Why? Because you've seen the giant of depression fall. You've seen it. And for that reason, don't let go of your sword. You've seen it. You've seen the, the giant of division. You've seen the, the giant of pain. You've seen the giant of cancer. You've seen the di- giant of divorce. For that reason, don't let go of your sword. Church, I want to encourage you. Let your life become frozen to the Word of God. It's living. It's alive. It's active. It's sharp. And let it come out of our mouths. That's what the Word of God does. It comes out of our mouth like a double-edged sword. That's why there's an enemy that wants to take away our authority and our power in the Word of God. Father, this morning, in the mighty name of Jesus, I want to thank you for everybody in this room. I want to thank you, Lord, for the steps the steps 
of righteous people that have been ordered by you. And Lord, I ask that on this day that you would turn rejection into dedication. You'd turn isolation into consecration, limitation into application, accusation into destination, manipulation into a realization, intimidation to imagination. And Lord, that you would turn validation into multiplication. The like David, even after his own death, that we would be like Eleazar, who seemed what you would do, and that our hands would be frozen to your word until we destroy the works of the enemy, until we pillage him down. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Will you say that with me? In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you that there's no other name above your name or any title that can be given. Your name is supreme. It is the final answer. It is the final authority. It is the greatest name. It is above every name and title that can be given, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And God, it's your name that we hold up high today. It's your word that we hold up high today. And Lord, as we stand here in your presence and we worship you today, as we stand here, Lord, I ask that you would show us, Holy Spirit, the things that we need to consecrate, the things we need to resolve in our own hearts before you today and not give ground anymore. In Jesus' name.